went live on the net and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. And we're coming to you live uh, from the Billy C. Studios in Lake Judge, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening, whenever you're listening or watching. Special shout out to all of our new viewers on Holyfield TV. We're glad to be part of Holyfield TV's sports programming. And uh, like we've been saying... If you're watching us on Holyfield TV, drop us a line, man. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know how we're doing. Our email address is billy at talkinboxing. That's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G. And don't forget about downloading our app. You can get it right now. Watch the show on your phone or your handheld or whatever. Just go to Fight. That's F-I-T-E. Fight.tv slash Billy C. That's Fight.tv slash Billy C. And don't forget... You can get all the pay-per-views that you may not be able to see from the other side of the pond, the other side of the pond, uh, and watch them right on the front page of our website. Just go to the pay-per-view section, uh, and uh, you'll see it. It's right there on the front. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant, located in beautiful St. Simons Island, or I should say on St. Simons Island. Uh, check out his website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. Or give my man a call, 912-268-2328. 912-268-2328. And uh, don't forget, if you're in the uh, WGIG listener area in Brunswick, Georgia, stop by. He's right on Frederica over there on uh, St. Simons Island. Find out why I go all the way to St. Simons to get a decent Italian meal. And I'll tell you the truth. I'll be there coming up in a couple of weeks, so uh, if you got nothing to do, come on by and have some dinner with me at uh, Sal's. Uh, I'll be there during the week of uh, June 12th. Yeah, June 12th, I'll be there. So uh, make sure you check that out. Um, today's show is also being brought to us in part by Gawk Box. What is it? Well, it's a great tool. Uh, it helps you save money, and it helps us, and it gets you some stuff. What's better than that? Two-way street. Check it out. Visit our website, www.billycboxing.com, and click on the Gawk Box banner and uh, create an account today. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by FanFire or FireFan. Why do I always do that? I guess I'm becoming dyslexic. dyslexic. Yeah. Uh, FanFire. Yeah. FireFan. Yeah. It's, it's, you know what? Just visit our website, billycboxing.com, and click on it. You'll see it. It's got the flames around the fan, you know. And uh, it's uh, sports fantasy games uh, like you've never played before. And if you go on through our website, uh, you get to sign up for free and win money. What's better than that? Win, win real money. You know, what's better than cash? Cash money. Yeah, it's like a, 
Uh, whatever. And today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino from Bondage, Better Man on the Planet. It's available right now where all good books are sold. Get yourself a copy by visiting barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Want to get a signed copy? Don't worry about it. Just visit the website, www.billycboxing.com, and click on the book. You can't miss it. Today's show, um, we got uh, some stuff coming up. You know, we've been talking a lot about the fight this weekend. I mean, there's a couple of them. And uh, uh, we said yesterday we were looking forward to uh, uh, checking out uh, Terrence Crawford. I I always love watching Terrence Crawford fight. Uh, And he's in uh, what may be a tougher opponent than we think. We'll we'll get to that a little later. But today's focal point is on uh, Javante Davis. And his fight against Leon Walsh. Now, Javante Davis just picked up a title and, um, you know, in his last fight. And he's taken on Leon Walsh. And not only is he taking on a quality fighter in Walsh, but he's taken on Walsh at Walsh's home court uh, over in England. Um, Javante Davis is a young uh, fighter. He's only 22 years old. And um, he basically, uh, well, he's not shy. Let's just say that. He's not shy. And he's been saying some crazy stuff. He's uh, being labeled as the next Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather himself has taken him under his wing, has been advising him to a point. He's, uh, Javante Davis has been saying some crazy stuff, like he's going to only listen to Floyd and not his corner. And Floyd's not uh, officially training him. I know he's worked out with him a couple of times. And um, I'm just wondering if, uh, you know, Javante Davis is making a mistake. Is he, is he letting, is he letting uh, like the old uh, saying from Mark Twain, too bad youth is wasted on the young. Is he letting his youth interfere with logical thinking? Is he believing his press clippings? He's going to be tested in more ways than one this weekend uh, against Leon Walsh. And it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, joining me right now to get uh, his thoughts uh, on this situation uh, is uh, my man. Uh, he's a New Jersey uh, Boxing Hall of Famer. He's a Guinness Book of World Record Holder. He's a Guinness Book of World Record Holder. He can uh, make some great Italian cuisine. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children's of all ages, please welcome the man, the myth, the legend himself in his own mind. My buddy, Sal Rocky Senecola. Good morning, Sal. You said the key term, in his own mind. (laughs) (laughs) How are you, Bill? Good morning. Not too bad, my man. Not too bad. Uh, You know, it's going to read yesterday. It was supposed to reach uh, in the high 80s. You know, it tipped the the thermometers 93 up here. Holy smoke! Yeah, I mean, we're already in the nineties here, but we—that's almost expected. You're in the nineties there, like right now as we speak. I don't know. I haven't been outside yet. <laughs> it's probably a nice, uh, balmy what? Maybe sixty-five where you are right now. What, what do you set uh, your temperature yeah. at? You know? <laughs> I, oh, my my temperature in my house. No, I like uh, I like anywhere between sixty-eight degrees and seventy-two. There you go. There you go. You know, but. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, hey, you know, Sal, I wanted to ask you about yes, um, Javante Davis. Now he's in a he's a talented uh, young fighter, and we were we were touching on it yesterday. And the thing is, is that uh, you know, like I said, we touched on it yesterday. He he's been saying stuff like he's only going to listen to Floyd Mayweather. Uh, he's not going to so much listen to his corner. 
you know, he's uh, going to, you know, basically uh, some of the rumors we heard is Floyd's been kind of telling him not to, you know, for him to focus on uh, hitting and not getting hit. And the one thing I, I like about Davis is that he engages and, you know, he's exciting. I, I think he had the potential of being better than Floyd Mayweather. Um, but I, I, I think that, you know, he's got to stay grounded. You know, he, he can't, um, uh, you know, think he's all that already. I mean, when I look at his uh, uh, resume, yes, he's undefeated 17-0, and 0, and 16 of those wins have come by knockout. His last fight was against Jose Pedraza when he won the uh, uh, world uh, uh, super featherweight title or junior lightweight, however you want to look at it. But in, in a dominating fashion, he stopped Pedraza, who was uh, much taller. Um, but of those 17 fights, the only other name on his resume that I really give him credit for, and, and by the time he fought him was uh, a shell of himself, was Cristobal Cruz. Now, he's going in the backyard of Leon Walsh, who's, you know, been around um i don't know is he taking this guy too lightly what do you think tell you what bill you said the when, with my gracious introduction or generous introduction you said the term in his own mind that's key because let me tell you something a fighter has to be solid in his mind and whether it's true or not if he believes in his own mind that he could do all these things it's going to be up to an opponent to humble him and make him see differently. But the bottom line is, I don't doubt him. I don't damn him for, in his own mind, feeling and doing the things he's doing at this point of his career. Same thing with having Mayweather in his corner. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, you look at a lot of fighters, and I was, I was classic for this. You know, it's like, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. You know, no, we're not. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But when you have a corner that you have faith in or people around you that you have confidence in that are truly there and you feel, hey, that's my team. That's what I'm going into the ring of battle with. You know, let me tell you something. It feels good. And it gives you a lot of horsepower and gives you a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of the confidence that you're going to be able to take care of cuts. You're going to be able to take care of uh, these guys going to be able to spot things. So, you know what? I see nothing wrong with it. I see nothing uh, saying he's taking it too lightly and like I said it's going to be up to an opponent to humble him and wake him up and tell him elsewhere bottom line is all my hats off to him uh, let him take Mayweather let him go I, I think that's really says a lot about his confidence level going in somebody's backyard I love that when I was an underdog or so going in somebody else's backyard and uh, because that's like, hey, I'm going to steal your heart away like uh, or I'm going to I'm going to crush and squelch the crowd. I don't care what I'm going up against. That says a lot. That says a lot about his confidence. So Javante Davis, I think, is right on track. And uh, I think he's going to have a stellar victory. And uh, he's not taking uh, Walsh too, uh, too, uh, too lightly. And uh, we're going to see a good fight. That's my opinion. Thank you very much. Well, I hope I hope we see. I I think we're going to see a good fight. You know, I just I'm concerned because I think that uh, Davis is a quality fighter, and I mean he's got everything uh, in front of him. You know, he, here's the thing, and and I'm gonna you know we're gonna take a break here in a couple minutes, and and I'll and I'll I just got on. I know, I know. Uh, it was all those. <laughs> it was all the introductions. You know, and it takes it takes almost you know. Hey, but um, um, you know my my point, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna you know give some facts about Leon Walsh. 
and some of the reasons why I would be cautious if I'm uh, Team Davis. Oh, yeah. But, you know, the one thing, I, you know, and I know I get criticized for, for being negative about Floyd. And, and you know, I'm probably going to get criticized again because I got some negative feelings coming out. It's getting ready. So if you don't want to hear it, leave. But uh, the truth of the matter is, is, you know, Floyd is Floyd. There's one Floyd. And, right. you know, it's hard uh, to even say, well, somebody's going to, you know, he's the next Floyd, you know, or something like that. Well, Javante Davis isn't, or at least wasn't. He was a guy that displays, uh, you know, I'm talking to him like he's not fighting anymore. He's a guy who displays uh, a lot of talent. He's got hand speed. He's got some pop. I mean, 94% knockout ratio for Javante Davis. O only one fighter has gone the distance with him. Um, you know, so he's exciting. He's engaging. Something that Floyd Mayweather was never. He was never exciting. And he doesn't engage. And to hear that Floyd is trying to tell Davis to be safe, safety first, um, that may get Davis some wins. It may make him successful, but it certainly might not make him the superstar that we need in the sport today, a guy that is excited. Excitement is synonymous to uh, superstardom. Floyd was an exception to that, and, and that's something I, I want people to understand, you know, you can't just copy. You know, everybody, has, we're a bunch of copycats, humans. You know, they like to, somebody sees success with uh, someone else and they immediately want to copy it and they wonder why it doesn't work. Well, you know, maybe something wasn't exactly the same. But my, my, my main point here, Sal, before I take a break, is Floyd, one of the negatives about Floyd, aside from his lack of excitement and challenging himself and all those things, is he's got a humongous ego. And I don't think Floyd would ever wants someone to get more attention than he gets. You know, some of this discussion with the Conor McGregor fight and everything, that's keeping Floyd in the in the mainstream discussion of boxing, you know, even though he's so-called retired. Um, and it's almost like he's trying to, uh, you know, uh, direct Davis uh, away from possibly catapulting himself. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that, Sal, but... Hold that thought, hold your tongue, and we are going to take a short break. And uh, when we get back, you can comment on that. And I'm also going to uh, uh, talk a little about um, Liam Walsh and his credentials. Uh, all of that is uh, coming up uh, in about two minutes. Billy will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And... We're back. You're listening to The Billy C. Show. Hey, don't forget, coming up in a little bit, we got uh, the author of a new book uh, called uh, Max Baer and Barney Ross, Jewish American, uh, I'm sorry, Jewish Heroes of Boxing, uh, written by uh, Jeffrey Sussman. And he's going to be with us uh, uh, in about 40 minutes or so. So, But right now, we got uh, Sal Rocky Senecola with us. And uh, Sal, 
Um, here's an interesting fact about the Javante Davis and Leon Walsh fight coming up uh, on this weekend. Both are southpaws. What's that going to be like? Is it going to be, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, fighters, uh, you know, orthodox fighter fighting a southpaw is a problem. And most southpaws get used to fighting orthodox fighters. Do they have the same kind of issues when they have to go against another southpaw? Well, I'll tell you what, that's, that's, that's funny. And for you, with your dyslexia, it should appear to be an orthodox fight. Right. Both, both of them are going to be orthodox. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm sorry. I think that, you know, for the majority of fighters being orthodox, meaning that they do jab with their left hand and they do have their right, uh, you know, as their power punch uh, coming across, I think these gentlemen have been used to sparring uh, with more orthodox. However, I'm sure they've come across uh, southpaws in the past, and, and it's uh, it's a natural level that they should be proficient in. But, eh, you know, I, I, I don't know. Let's see how much they, they do uh, want to mirror up with each other, and it's going to be a little bit different to see, and I'm glad you brought that up, uh, you know, because two southpaws fighting. You know, the, the secret of fighting a southpaw, it's not a secret. You know, you try and stay outside of that, that uh, right foot and uh, away from the power punch of the left with, with, with fainting and slipping and blocking and, and getting inside. And, you know, so now these guys are going to be fighting and for themselves it's going to be uh, uh, a little bit different. So we'll see. But that's a good point to bring up. I'm, I'm anxious to see this now. See, he's coming excited about it. Well, you know, I, you know. I don't think I'm... it'll pose trouble, though. I don't think it'll. I'm a big fan of Javante David. I mean, I, 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 I'm a big fan of his talent. I, I'm not a big fan of his ego because, I, you know, when I look at him, uh, you know, I, I do believe that he has fought two of his 17 fights against above average competition in his last fight, Jose Pedraza, and uh, back in 2015 against Cristobal Cruz. Now, when you take a look at Leon Walsh, you know, he's nine years older than Davis, Sal. He's 31 years old. As far as being ranked by the computer, he's ranked number 18 in the world uh, at uh, Super Featherweight or Junior Lightweight, however you want to look at it, uh, compared to uh, Javante Davis being ranked at number 10. Now, Davis's ranking, um, his jump in the rankings has a lot to do with his win over Pedraza in his last fight. Uh, as far as height and reach, eh, they're close. I mean... Uh, Leon Walsh has a, a one and a half inch height advantage. I, I don't think that's going to really come into play that much. But, but the thing is, is when I look at Leon Walsh, and um, I see the level of opposition he's fought. Now, I will say this: I don't think that he's fought anyone at the level of Jose Pedraza, like Javante Davis has fought and beat and stopped. But when you look at Leon Walsh's uh, resume, he's fought some tough guys on the way up, like uh, Paul Appleby and Scott Harrison and Gary Skykes. Uh, he fought Joe Murray twice. Um, and uh, in his last two fights, Troy James and uh, in his very last fight in uh, October of last year, Andre Kilimov. Uh, these are all good opponents, not above average opponents, but good opponents that I think helps a fighter develop. He's, in my opinion, I think Leon Walsh has seen more diversity uh, with his opponents than Javante Davis has. Now, Javante Davis has certainly seen two 
quality opponents. One, you know, at the very, very end of his career, Cristobal Cruz. But in his last fight, he proved a lot uh, against Jose Pedraza. Now, you can make the argument that Pedraza didn't fight the fight that he should have. But that's neither here nor there. At the end result, Javante Davis won the fight and he stopped him. So he won the fight convincingly. Do you think that a fighter, Sal, uh, like Leon Walsh, who's had, you know, the right, basically, like I'm always saying, you know, you got to increase your opponent's level of opposition and, and get better and better. Do you think Leon Walsh has been prepared for a fight against a quality fighter like Javante Davis better than Javante Davis has been prepared to fight a quality fighter like Leon Walsh? Good question, and I'll tell you what. At uh, Leon Walsh's age, you said he's what thirty-one. Uh, Jev- uh, Leon Walsh yeah. is thirty-one, yeah. and Davis is twenty-two. Well, what happens at the age of thirty-one, and uh, you've been in a game, your hair you starts have... falling out, right? Your hair Sorry? starts falling at thirty-one. Your hair starts uh, falling out, right? Well, it does that, you know. Some fighters, <laughs> but you know. But uh, what happens though? You do have a maturity level. You 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 have. You, I don't know if you could really say you're coming to your own. But, you know, you've been there, done that a little bit more. You know what you're doing in your career at that time. They should know what you're doing in your career at the time, what the goals are, how you're evolving. And, you know, you also do not have that much more time to to, to spend. And you're either going to do it now or never. And with that, you also have the maturity level. Uh, and you have the maturity level also physically as well as emotionally. Uh, so I think that that is going to be something that he's going to carry into the ring. And especially in his backyard, this guy's going to feel pretty confident that, guess what? I'm going to shock the world tonight, and I'm going to show everybody what I really can do. I'm prepared. I have nothing to lose because I'm supposed to lose. I mean, I'm not saying he's saying that, but I'm not, I have nothing to lose. So I'm going to go out in front of my fans, and I'm going to be dominant, and I'm going to beat this guy. And so he's got to feel confident. He's got to have the stars aligning in his head that this is what's going to happen. And in Javante Davis's case, he's just a young, brash, uh, confident uh, talent. And he's thinking the same. Hey, I'm coming in this guy's backyard. I'm going to show him who's boss. I'm going to do this. So that's what I'm saying. The only thing that's going to humble Davis is, is an opponent. But meanwhile, if he wants to carry that brash style into the ring, that's, hey, I can name a bunch of fighters that did that, including my buddy Vinny Pazienza. He was a young fighter. Nothing was going to stop this guy. He didn't care. And that's that's a, that's a young uh, anticipation and, and, and the excitement. And this guy feels, you know, hey, nothing's going to stop me. And, you know, like I said, life will humble him over the years. But right now, as a 21, 22-year-old, let him carry himself in the ring with that and uh, all the power to him. I hope he can sustain that level of excitement and, and, uh, and feeling. And I think it's going to be a great contest. I mean, I think that the age and the emotional uh, maturity level uh, with Smith, hey, might have something to do with this, the, the results of this fight. So I'm, I'm really going to look forward to this fight. You know, I, um, I, I, both fighters want this fight a, a lot. I give Davis a lot of credit for going into uh, Walsh's backyard. I think it shows a lot. Or it's shown us one of two things. Either it's shown us Davis has got a lot of confidence or it's shown us that um, you know, to get these big fights. Uh, now there's been a shift. A, a lot of fighters are, are going over to, to the UK and to other parts of Europe to, to fight these fights the way it used to be is they would come here to the States. And obviously there's bigger draws uh, over there. I, I, I just I just don't like 
as far as Javante Davis, you know, he's become very cocky, especially after the last win. Uh, and I believe that he deserves to, to display a, a certain level of cockiness, but, um, you know, not as much as he has. Uh, and, and I would be totally okay with it until I read and saw that, you know, he's uh, really uh, following this, you know, Floyd Mayweather thing. And, and, you know, to hear that Floyd is, you know, giving him pointers and when he said he was going to listen to Floyd uh, more than his corner or above what his corner says. You know, immediately that that creates uh, some uh, some problems, uh, not only for him, but how about your corner? How does your corner feel when they hear a guy going to the media <laughs> in public saying, well, I'm going to listen to what Floyd said. Now, listen, this could all be BS, Sal. It, all it could, it be could BS, all be BS. Sal. You know, I, I mean, be showcasing his own little corner. I'll tell you, that, that's, that's more likely what's going to happen. Right. You know, it could be just, uh, you know, him uh, playing with, uh, you know, guys like us and. Uh, but, but, you know, if you got a guy like Floyd who's uh, front row and he's yelling instructions to, uh, uh, to uh, Davis and, and Davis is, is you know, focus, focusing his hearing on what Floyd is saying and not what his corner is saying, you know, I would be nervous. I would be nervous because especially if the going gets tough, doesn't, isn't that harder for the fighter to focus on who he should be listening to? You know, it's so funny because I've been in positions where I've had two people that I've trusted. And uh, whether it's Richie Giacchetti that was in my corner and maybe my old trainer. Uh, and and uh, I, I just had an emotional recall, just as you were saying, could it be hard? And then I had uh, one time, you know, like I said, Richie Giacchetti was in my corner. Another trainer was in my corner. And uh, Johnny Torres, who was great, confident guy. Uh, I had him in my corner, and then Don Turner in my corner. And Don, I loved working with. Don knew me inside and out. So did Johnny Torres. So when I hear two different voices coming in my ears, guess what? I'm focused on my opponent, the fighter in front of me, and I and I see, and I can decipher, and I can take what I want from uh, both uh, uh, advice, uh, both of people giving me advice. And uh, uh, it's not so confusing because, you know, I'm, I'm, I know what I got to do. A fighter knows what he's got to do. And, uh, you know, you're going to you're going to hear one or two things and uh, you're going to take that and apply that next round. And uh, you're going to come back and and get uh, critiqued or getting suggestions on the other one. I think it's great that Javante Davis is doing this. And, you know, you mentioned something about his cockiness and his attitude. Hey, maybe it's going to be a pathway for a superstardom. And I'll tell you why. There were cocky people in my generation. One was Hector Camacho and one was Vinny Pazienza. And guess what? These guys uh, propelled themselves to superstardom because they believed themselves and they weren't afraid to shout it out and they faced anybody and anywhere. And, and you know what? They had, the, they had the skill level to prove it. And uh, so maybe Javante Davis is going to follow that game book as well. Hmm. So I don't, I don't see anything wrong with where he is and what's going to happen. The only thing that's going to humble this guy is life itself. So we'll see. And that's the maturity level that we all go through. I wouldn't be comparing him with uh, Hector Camacho no, no, yet. No, I'm not. But I'm saying that was a that was a young no because these guys were superstars. That's what I'm saying. Maybe he's taking a playbook and his way on to superstardom. I don't know. We're gonna see that over the next couple of years, next couple of fights. But what I'm saying is, when Camacho and Pazienza were young like that too, they were not afraid to to uh, boast of how their skill level set is and and where they were going. So I'm not comparing them. But I'm telling them that, that telling you and everybody that 
that was the brash kind of uh, idea. You either love these guys or you didn't like them because of their brash cockiness. So the same thing with Javante Davis. He's going to create that a little bit, and he's going to have his fans. He's going to have people that hope uh, he gets uh, he gets humbled fast. But the bottom line is, if he has the talent to develop and to 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 back up his words, then you know what he can evolve into a superstar one day. So we'll see what happens. No doubt. And I, you know, I, I'm pulling for him. I want I him to. I want him to keep. I want him to keep doing what he what he did to get to. And listen, I was impressed, big time against uh in his fight with uh uh pedraza you know so um you know anyway hey listen we got to take a short break it's that time again we got to take a short break uh when we come back we got uh we got some more stuff to talk about i got a bunch of emails to read all that stuff so uh we'll be back uh in about two we'll be right back check out billycboxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And... You know, we're back. You're watching the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, uh, don't forget, in a few minutes, uh, well, in, in about a half hour, we got uh, Jeff, Jeffrey Sussman uh, scheduled to join us. He's the author of a new book, Max Bear and Barney Ross, Jewish Heroes in Boxing. So we'll be chatting with him. But right now, uh, we're uh, we're here with my man, uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. And Sal, we got a couple of emails to read, so uh, okay. uh, let's uh, let's get going with that. First and foremost, this one's from my man Jesse, and uh, Jesse says, uh, "Hey Billy C and Sal, I believe the Gary uh, versus uh, uh, Escandon and Felix versus Crawford fights will be somewhat competitive, but they have nothing to lose. Both contending fighters should put pressure and use movement and keep their hands up. I think this week is packed with some pretty good bouts." You know, that's contradicting what we were talking about yesterday, Sal. We were talking about the, uh, the odds uh, on these fights uh, and the fact that, um, you know, uh, uh, that uh, uh, they look like they're all one-sided showcase fights. Uh, you know, Gary Russell Jr. against Escadana, I'm not so sure. And the Felix versus Crawford, I'm not so sure they're going to be entertaining fights either. What do you think? No, I think I think uh, I think they should be. We'll see what happens. I think, uh, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to this weekend. I really am. In fact, we should probably uh, divvy up and see what fights we each want to watch. We can't find it. We'll watch them all at one time. I watch them all, Sal, just because you don't, you know, come. I mean, I come on, I'm going come on. To, but it's not going to be simultaneously. Jesse <laughs> says, uh, I read that Corrales will face Robinson uh, Castellanos. It should be a good fight because Castellanos always brings it. Do you see Robinson uh, earning this bout? Um, I do. I think uh, in his last fight, I mean, he beat uh, one of my favorite guys, or at least he was. Um, so, yes, I do believe Castellanos uh, earned that fight. He says, uh, I wouldn't be totally surprised if Walsh wins uh, since Davis's ego has gone off the charts. He must stay mentally ready and concentrate and not let the attention get to him. It's kind of what we've been saying, you know. I mean, uh, I, I agree with that, Sal. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm looking forward to this fight, because you have 
like I said, you have a, a fighter at 31 years of age that kind of knows that this is a, a make or break, do or die situation at this stage of his career. He's got the maturity level. He knows how to handle his emotions. He knows how to focus. He's been there, done that. He's got some some experience underneath his belt and the maturity level. I mean, physically, you're a little stronger at, at that age, too. I mean, you're, you're a young buck. You're, you're strong. You're developing. But you're, your muscle and your muscular skeletal system seems to come together at, at age 28 or so. You, you, you're, you're more like a, a, a man skill power set than, than a young man skill power set. That's, uh, and, I, and like I said, Javante Davis, the only thing that's going to humble him is life and an opponent. So let him carry himself uh, the way he is. And, and this may be uh, a weekend that he's going to finally uh, be upset. And uh, we don't know, but that's why it's going to be a good fight. I like the, I like the matchup. I like what I can expect to, to see, and uh, we're going to see who the better man is on Saturday night. We got another email. This one's from my man Johnston. Now you could check Johnston. Uh, he's uh, uh, got a column actually up on BillyCBoxing.com, so check it out. Uh, Johnston says, uh, "Good morning, guys." He says, uh, "As the big fight in the welterweight division heats up, here's some quotes from both of the fighters, and he's referring to uh, um, Kel." excuse me, Kel Brook uh, and uh, Errol Spence. Now, um, Amir Khan apparently has uh, given his camp that he works out uh, to Errol Spence to work out in uh, as he uh, continues preparation for his fight against Kel Brook. So when Kel Brook was asked about uh, that, about the Amir Khan given uh, Errol Spence's camp, um, Kel said this. These are some quotes from uh, Kel Brook. He said, that's Amir Khan through and through. He would love to see me lose this fight so he doesn't have to fight me, but that's not going to happen. He can lend Errol his gym, but he can't save uh, him on May 27th. The only thing on my mind is the fight. The fans know what I'm about. I've gone from moving up to middleweight to fight Triple G to coming back down to face one of the most dangerous welterweights out there. All I want to do is give the fans what they want. That's what they deserve. I love Kel Brook, and I think he's right. Yeah, I mean, uh, you yeah. can't argue with that. Uh, when asked about uh, Brook being able to make the weight, uh, you know, which is actually a, a great segue uh, from the comment that Kel Brook made uh, about the fact that he moved up uh, two divisions <laughs> to go from welter to middleweight uh, uh, to fight Triple G, the best middleweight out there, uh, he said, uh, it's been very, very tough because I moved up to middleweight. Then I had time off, so my weight went even higher. Uh, it's been gradual, but we got here. Uh, every day is tough, and we take it one day at a time. But, I, but I'm uh, uh, sitting here now, and I'm uh, on target. I'm hitting my target, so I'm happy. Um, you think that sounds like he's spent a lot of his training camp uh, making weight, Sal? No, I, I don't. I, you know, you're a professional. You know what you got to do. And uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, some fighters that could be careless, uh, you know, they, they hastily do it later because they, they know they can. They've been there. Uh, for Kel Brook, I think he's more methodical. And I think he, he is well-grounded with his thoughts. And he has a purpose. He knows what he's doing. So I think he probably, like I said, you really know the only facts that are real are what comes from uh, that fighter's mouth. What I mean they're real is that's what you are going by. 
he could be doing that for a smokescreen for his opponent to make it sound like it, whatever it is. Now, I, I think I think he's been taking it off slowly. I think, like he said, he's right on target. And is it easy? No, but it's discipline. And that's what these guys at that level understand. That's what they take on. So I think he's going to be fine. Um, now, uh, uh, Johnson gave us some quotes from uh, the camp of Errol Spence. Errol Spence says, this is a defining fight for me. Most guys with my pedigree get the uh, title handed to them in a certain type of way. They don't go across the seas to the hometown guy and uh, a real fighter like Kell Brook. Uh, that's really unheard of. I definitely think I get a lot of credit going and fighting Kell Brook in his backyard. Uh, I know it's not going to be an easy fight for me. It's going to be a real test going his hometown and take his title from him uh, but it's something that I'm willing to do it's something that real fighters do going to other people's towns and fighting champions that's what he did he came to America and that's what I'm going to do I've come to the UK I'm going to his hometown to take his title I know it won't be easy but I'm 100% ready for this fight um, it almost sounds like that's a subliminal slap in the face to Floyd Mayweather Something Floyd Mayweather has never done. Uh, Floyd Mayweather has never uh, fought overseas uh, for a title. He's never uh, uh, fought outside of his comfort zone. As a matter of fact, he's never fought anything where he didn't call all the shots. So uh, that's kind of a little slap in his face. But I do agree with that statement, Sal, 100%. Errol Spence is doing all the things that great fighters do. Your thoughts? 100%. See that—that's the confidence level. That's—that's that's the arrival of of your emotions. Everything else. I used to love it when we said we're when someone said we're gonna fight. We're gonna go over here. We're gonna fight this and this guy in his backyard. You know, I was packing my bags. I was like, ah, I want to go there. I want to eat it up. I want to chew it up, and I want to spit it out. You know, you know, you, you you don't forget. You feel when you're a fighter and you're in shape. You're physically, mentally sharp and ready. You know, there's nothing that's gonna stop you. And uh, you want to take on a challenge, and that's the that's what we were always eager to do. And taking on, you want to make it, you want to make that hill incline higher. Ah, I don't care. We're gonna climb it up. We're gonna climb up and and uh, and and show you what we could do. That was the mindset. That's the mentality. So yes, I love that from what I hear, and I, I think that's great. Says it all right now. And uh, <laughs> I'm gonna look forward to that fight too. Um, when he was uh, asked uh, if. Uh... Uh, Brooke fought Khan if Brooke had chosen to fight Amir Khan instead of him uh, he said uh, he meaning Brooke would have been uh, ducking me if he had come down and fought Amir Khan uh, and not defend his title so I thought he would uh, come down I wanted him to come down uh, because I wanted to take the belt from the champion he's referring going back to the welterweight class Amir yeah. Khan's uh, uh, last fight was actually in a weight class above when he fought Canelo. He says, uh, I didn't want to fight the next available guy. I wanted to fight the champion, the guy who has the belt. I kind of thought he would. I've been waiting for a long time now. Something I knew it was going to happen, but I had to wait. Uh, the fight's finally here, and I'm going to finally get my opportunity to prove myself and prove that I'm the best welterweight in the division uh, by fighting Kell Brook. I'm expecting the environment to be lively. These are hardcore boxing fans in the UK. They really come out to support. I expect them to have a lot of support. I expect me to have a lot of booze, uh, but I welcome that. It's uh, a lot of pressure on him to perform in front of his fans and his friends, and I'm not worried about the crowds. 
It's gonna be it's gonna be me and him in the ring. Um, you know, you can't. You know, what I love about Errol Spence is everything. I, you know, yeah. it's really hard to find something negative no. to say. He's saying all the right stuff, yes. and uh, I tell you the truth, Sal. You know what's coming out of his mouth. If he if he actually you know follows through with everything that he's saying above and beyond this fight, regardless of the outcome, uh, kudos to him because this is what we need in the sport of boxing. That's we need telling. guys that are willing to walk the walk, not find a way around it. You know, yeah. and and again, you know, Floyd is Floyd, but Floyd perfected the way of finding. Uh, detours and you know he, he got a lot of accolades for doing uh, the complete opposite of what Errol Spence is doing Floyd has never cha- at least for the last decade has never challenged himself has never seeked out the absolute best he seeked out names uh, washed up names old names deteriorated names uh, always had to call all the shots always was in his backyard all those things and uh, here's something, Kell Brook, a young fighter, um, you know, uh, getting his first world title shot. And, you know, he's, he's willing to take on the best of the best of the best. I applaud that. What do you think? Oh, 100%. I mean, that's what we love to hear, love to see. This is what it's all about. You know, you, you don't hide behind uh, podiums and this and that and, and uh, uh, avoid questions, avoid this and that. You, you, you come out and you say, hey. This is what I'm built for. This is what I'm meant for. And this is what I'm going to do. And then you just let your your fists and your intellect and your passion and your heart and uh, skills come out and back your words up. And that, that's phenomenal. That's what I love to hear. That's what we love to hear. The fighters that want to challenge themselves, the fighters that want to rise in, to the next level or for the occasion. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have all the all the applause uh, right after those guys. I, I, I'm It's a welcome uh, it's welcoming to hear. Next emails from uh, my man Joel. He says, uh, Joel. Hey, "Hey guys, I was wondering if you guys heard about the new weight cut regulations uh, that the California State Athletic Commission introduced this week for MMA." He says, "One thing I really like is for high-profile title fights, they recommend a 30 and a 10-day weight check, much like the WBC does. I think this is good, ensuring that those big title fights will go on as scheduled." If an MMA fighter is forced to weigh a certain amount 30 and 10 days out uh, before a fight, what do you guys think about these rules? And can all states adopt them, uh, which would benefit all combat athletes and avoid drastic weight-cutting uh, situations? Um, you know, this whole weight-cutting and weigh and stuff, it, it, it's so... I, you know, I look at it this way, Sal. You know, if if we could remedy all of these other, these are all precautions and shortcuts taken Bingo. to still allow a fighter to finagle. Now, if you have yeah. a weigh-in that you have to weigh a certain amount of pounds 30 days out, why wouldn't a fighter do the same exact thing he's going to do when he weighs in the day before? Now, if he's got to weigh 150 pounds 30 days out, and, you know, he's weighing in at 165. You know, I, to me, they would dry out the day before and, and do all the same things they do before fight night. They get on the scale, they weigh 150, they uh, have a couple of Gatorades, eat a sandwich, and uh, they're back to 165, you know. So I, I just think, I, I think it's all BS. I think if we went back to the same day weigh-ins Thank and you. Um, we, we, we would force fighters 
to be fighting at their natural weights, you know, or at least, uh, you know, plus or minus six pounds or something. You know, I, I think we would have legitimate weight classes. I think we would have legitimate fighters, and we would certainly uh, be enforcing safety. What do you think? Billy, you know, I'm passionate about that. And, you know, I, I again, here's the feel-good police and always lowering the benchmark. You don't need, you know, these guys, these, these are mature adults, okay? They have a contract. They know what they're supposed to do. They can do it. They just have to be disciplined. There is not one fight, not one wrestling match, not one anything that I ever showed up for overweight. I'm talking about hundreds of events, and I knew what I had to do. And the thing is, we always had the same day weigh-ins. You know, wrestling in high school, you have that afternoon at 4 o'clock before the match. You got to weigh in. You don't have that much time to replenish, recover. But you know what? Same day weigh-ins, I knew what I wanted to do. And, you know, I had my trainer. Sometimes my father was there with a bottle of Gatorade and a banana or a baked potato. And I'd step off the scale, and that Gatorade would be gone, and a baked potato or banana was consumed as a carbohydrate. And guess what? By that time, that night, if I had a weigh at the lightweight limit of 135 and I – came in at 134 and three quarters or 135 right on normally by four or five o'clock that afternoon i was still at 135 i just replenished myself even after drying out and losing that weight and uh i always like to go into the ring hungry and and uh you know as long as my electrolytes and my my minerals were all replenished uh i didn't want to eat like a cafone uh and and uh and and be sluggish and slow so you know what? Same day weigh-ins. That's what it should be. You know what? These guys are mature. They're adults. They're paid professionals. They should be accountable for their weight. They don't need a little thirty-day weigh-in and check out. Forget about it. It's stupid. Yeah, I mean, it's just yeah, it's giving him. It's, it's giving him. To me, it's giving him more uh, more ways to cheat. I don't know. I don't well, know. I, but, I, uh, I'm telling you, it's, it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. One last email. This is from my man Mitch. He says, uh, "I think Felix Diaz is coming to party on Saturday." He says, uh, wouldn't it be odd if the after effects of Joshua Klitschko's success and the hundred million and the one million buys of Canelo Chavez leads to advertisers taking a second look at boxing? Meaning the PBC could get a few more sponsors based on non-PBC boxing events. Parts of me hope so, but a bigger part of me hopes not. Time to break up the monopoly and the mon- and the monotony. Uh, from my man Mitch. Um you know, a couple other people uh, reached out to me and feels that Diaz is uh, going to give uh, Terrence Crawford a bigger fight than, than I think uh, on Saturday. Um, as far as the advertisers and stuff, I, you know what? I, I, boxing, I, the more we see it uh, on TV and stuff, the, the more the advertisers will get in, as long as the numbers are good. As far as the PBC, their original model, was uh, had nothing to do with advertising revenue. Their original model, which we've came to learn what, what, what it was, was they had hoped that they would build up a big enough following uh, by, by flooding the television, the free television market with boxing that the same networks that they were buying time from would turn around and pay them for the production of the uh, sports, for the, for the boxing. And uh, that didn't work out. 
So as a result, you know, we as the fans benefited from the uh, uh, numbers, meaning the amount of boxing on TV, thanks to the PBC. And today, thanks to the PBC, we're benefiting from good fights on TV. And the reason is because the PBC, they're not on as much as they used to be, but because Al Heyman has so many fighters under contract, and a lot of them are kind of ticked off that they're not fighting, um, they're forced to fight the real fights that we wanted, and a lot of them are fighting the fights not here in the States, which uh, you know is resulting in us getting some really good fights. Now, he is still protecting some of them, uh, but uh, for the most part, I think uh, we've benefited from it. So I, I think that the numbers are only helping across the board. As far as advertisers, you know, uh, a lot of products, they don't want to be associated with combat sports, whether it be uh, MMA or boxing. What do you think real quick, Sal? Yeah, I think you're right, and uh, it makes, uh, makes a lot of sense, and uh, I think it should be a, a, a pathway, and uh, I agree with you. You know, uh, I love uh, the fact that, um, you know, we're even talking about, uh, you know, uh, potential addi additional advertisers and stuff. But, yes. I, you know, over the last uh, several years, I, I, I kind of see the same advertisers that um, have supported boxing. I don't know. Have you seen, just to get off the subject, speaking of advertising, have you have you seen some of the commercials for Tecate Beer uh, with uh, Canelo and, and Sylvester Stallone? Have, have you caught any of those? I, I have not been able to watch. Billy, you've been so busy. I haven't even been able to watch the TV, let alone commercials. But no, but I want to see it. What's going on? Tell me. Hey, first of all, half the commercials are better than the shows on TV today. I, I mean, I, you know, dur during the Super Bowl, I look forward to the commercials just to see what, what they got. I mean, they haven't been as good as they were in years gone by. But I, I've seen a couple. You know, one one was kind of – they're kind of weird, you know. Like one was uh, – Canelo was – was uh, you know uh, saying whatever he, he you know basically Sylvester was trying to who's more manly you know and they were going back and forth and it ended with uh, Canelo in an ice big tub of ice and you know all of a sudden all these uh, cans of beer pop up and Sylvester says you know oh that's that's you know that's bold that's bold and he and then he goes let me get in there with you you know and I'm like well, what is that <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. yeah and and then the last <laughs> one was. Um, uh, something about uh, Canelo uh, had a black eye or something, and uh, Sylvester's like, "Be bold," uh, and he's and and he's like, uh, he gives he hands him a steak, right? You know, to put on the eye, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and then next thing you know, Canelo takes the steak and he throws it on a grill, and then he puts a Tecate beer on his eye to to take the smell <laughs> that, you know, and, and then Sylvester's like, "Oh, I like your style," you know, and it's uh, you know, I'm I'm like, what is it? Yeah, you know, it's just they're kind of funny, but the funny thing is, is that product association, Sal, works. It works. You know, and, uh, you know, Canelo, I, I don't know where Sylvester fits into Tecate beer, but Canelo is, is doing pretty well, uh, um, you know, uh, becoming a, a face uh, of Tecate. What do you think? Well, I think not only is he becoming a face of Tecate, but I think that, uh, you know, the media likes him. And uh, they, I mean, he's a good-looking guy. He's, he's a talented fighter. And, uh, I mean, he, they're trying to market him. And uh, I'll tell you what, he's going to be fighting for how many more years? And uh, you're going to see a segue into uh, 
some type of uh, film industry or TV or something like that. I mean, he, that's what they're grooming him for. He, he wants to be the face to recognize and associated with certain products and everything else here. So I think it, I think it's good. He's on a good pathway. No, I think I think Canelo's on the right, and I totally that's what get. I'm no, 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 no. I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but my point is, I totally get yeah. why Canelo's in the commercial. Yeah. I don't get why you know Rocky, you know, why yeah, Sylvester's yeah, in the commercial. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so he's funny. like, you know, I mean, give me a break. It's over for him. You know, I mean, nobody cares well, about Sylvester Stallone. You know, it's I, the passing of the torch. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, is you know, Sylvester Stallone, you know, I, you know, I've always, uh, all right. Just right, I, we right, got to take yeah. a break here. Actually, we're kicking you to the curb here in a minute. Oh, uh, we got uh, we got the author of a great book, Max Baer and Barney Ross, uh, Jewish uh, Heroes of Boxing, coming up uh, to talk about the book here in a minute. But you know, when you look at great actors and movies and stuff like that, one of my favorites was Clint Eastwood. I, I mean, I loved his yeah. westerns Love. more than more than some of the others. But when you look at Clint Eastwood today. He's an old guy, you know, he's getting old and, and he's still active and all these things, but he's aged gracefully. He's a guy that, that, you know, is, is, a, he's getting older. I mean, it's part of life. I mean, you know, you and I are getting older and, you know, uh, we're no. aging gracefully. I know you don't want to, maybe, maybe let, let me rephrase that. You and I are getting older and I'm aging gracefully uh, and, and you not so much. But, uh, but the truth of the matter is, um, you know, Sylvester Stallone, is a guy that isn't aging gracefully. You know, he's getting plastic surgery. He's, he, you know, he keeps his hair dyed. He's trying to look, you know, like he's still in his 30s or even 40s, you know. And uh, I think that, and, and women traditionally have done that. And, you know, with all the technology with plastic surgery, I don't think they're doing themselves justice. I mean, um, you look at some of these, these attractive women that have, you know, tried to stay young, try to defy aging, and they look like, uh, you know, uh, circus characters. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't understand. Do, do they look in the mirror and think they see in something great? I mean, I look and I see them and I go, oh, my God, you know, that one's had work. Oh, she's had work. He's had work. You know, I mean, has, I mean, I lips like a trout. <laughs> I, I know there's been there's been, you know, I mean, like you know, I, jo, uh, the late uh, Joan uh, Rivers, Rivers uh, really? you know, she was the best. She she said. She she made fun of all the the plastic surgery she had. She said, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm I've had so much plastic surgery." She says, "I'm smiling right now, even though you can't see." You know, yeah, what which is funny, yeah. but it's true. You know, and um, you know, I, you know, Phyllis Diller used to say, "Oh yeah, I'm ugly," and that's after plastic surgery. You know, uh, you should have seen me before. But um, I, I don't know, man. I mean, take age like you can, right? Well, that's what you got to do. I mean, you know, we, we all want to uh, hang on to our youth as long as possible. And, you know, some people find different methods or techniques uh, more popular. Hey, when you when you're when you're ready, I got I got I got I to answer to solve this whole weight situation. I got a lot of things to tell you. You got to bring them up to me when, when, when you know, I'm making notes so well, we can talk about some things later. Well, it sounds good because that's a great segue. We're kicking you to the curb. <laughs> I knew it. And, I knew uh, it was coming. We're going to be back with the author uh, of a new book, Max Bear and Barney Ross, Jewish uh, Heroes of Boxing, uh, in about two. And then we'll uh, get back to you soon, Sal. So uh, we'll be back soon. Thank you, Bill. Billy C. will be right back. Part of the Billy C. Boxing Network. Have you heard? Proactive Plus is faster and better than ever. 
stay tuned for a million bottle giveaway and you'll also receive free shipping. Do you have troubled skin, acne? Well, we have great news. With Proactive Plus, your acne can heal and you can help prevent new breakouts from happening. Don't miss this limited time offer. Give us a call at 800-567-0214 because we're gonna let a million people try Proactive Plus risk-free and get two free gifts and also receive free shipping when you call right now. You heard it, this offer won't last long. So call Proactive Plus now and you'll receive a 60-day risk-free trial of Proactive Plus, two free extras and free shipping. Call 800-567-0214. This is our exclusive radio offer, never on TV. Get your risk-free 60-day trial of Proactive Plus with free shipping. That's right, free shipping. Don't wait. Call 800-567-0214. That's 800-567-0214. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy, Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watching the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today. And uh, as usual, we're glad to be with you. So, uh, uh, hey, don't forget, uh, there's a new book out, and uh, I need you to uh, pick up a copy of it, and it's right here. It's uh, Max Baer and Barney Ross, uh, Jewish Heroes of Boxing, and uh, joining us right now uh, is the author of this book, uh, Jeffrey Sussman, and uh, I'd like to welcome him to the show. What's up, Jeff? Hi, nice to have you. Glad to be here and glad to be speaking with you. Hey, uh, Jeff, um, you know, I, I Barney Ross was one of my favorite fighters. When I saw that this book came out, that was uh, one of the things that interested me right away. Um, I, it, first of all, what made you write the book? Why don't you give us a little history about uh, why you chose to, to write this book and why you picked uh, Barney Ross and Max Baer? Well, when I was uh, 12 years old, I was a skinny little kid, and my father was worried that uh, bigger kids would pick on me. And my father uh, was almost like an amateur boxer, and he one day he brought home a pair of uh, boxing gloves, a speed bag, a heavy bag, and a jump rope, and he set it up in our basement, and he taught me the elements of boxing. And after that, he, was, he knew uh, Lou Stillman, who owned Stillman's Gym in the city. And he signed me up for uh, 10 boxing lessons with a middleweight there. And I learned to box. And uh, when my father was growing up, one of his close friends was a man named Abe Simon, who fought Joe Lewis twice for the heavyweight title. He lost both times. I think it was 1940 and 1941. But uh, my father grew up in a very anti-Semitic neighborhood, as did Abe Simon. And it was Abe Simon's boxing ability that would put an end to a lot of anti-Semitic attacks. So I became interested in uh, Jewish boxers as well as boxing. In, in the uh, late 1980s, I had as a PR marketing client a, uh, a boxing promoter, and one of his clients was uh, the welterweight boxer Howard Davis, and, and I got to uh, uh, promote him as well. And all of these uh, circumstances combined 
to uh, let me uh, uh, want to write a book about boxing. And I chose, because of my father's experiences, two boxers who were symbols against uh, the anti-Semitism that was so prevalent in the 1930s. You know, uh, the uh, when you mention uh, the promoter for Howard Davis, uh, I, I promoted some of his fighters, too. He, he, he's from Long Island, right? Exactly. Yeah, no, no. I, great guy. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, the impact that um, uh, Jewish fighters had during the era of Max Baer and Barney Ross um, was a big one. There, there was a lot of uh, Jewish fighters. It was popular. What kind of impact do you feel that um, the lack of Jewish fighters today has on the community. Do you think it, the, the interest in, in fighting for uh, the Jewish community just left in terms of boxing, or do you think it was more important for them to fight? I, I mean, I, I don't understand why there had been such a, a drop-off uh, with the amount of Jewish fighters, uh, you know, in the pool of fighters to begin with. Can you explain that? Well, you know, from... From 1910 to 1941, there were 628 Jewish boxers, and about 24 of them became uh, champions in various weight classes. But just about all of them, with the possible exception of Max Baer, came from, they were the children of uh, poor immigrants, and it was a way to earn a living and earn, earn some money, a lot of money, uh, very quickly, more, certainly a lot more money than their parents were earning. You know, if your father worked in a garment center and he was making $5 a week, and you could make $50 a night fighting. Uh, obviously, fighting was a lot more remunerative than, than working in a garment center. But a lot of these boxers were also concerned that uh, you know they might suffer head injuries or things like that. And most of them got out of boxing after five or seven years of, of working at it. And though a lot of their children were interested in boxing and wanted to become boxers, the parents really dissuaded them. Uh, Max Baer Jr. told me a very uh, cute story about his desire to want to be a boxer. When he was in college, he asked his father to teach him uh, the elements of boxing. And he and his father went into the backyard of their home and they put on these big uh, puffy uh, boxing gloves so they wouldn't hurt each other. And the father said to him, look, I don't want you to become a boxer but I'll, I'll teach you what the elements of boxing are. And we're not gonna hurt each other, we're not gonna punch each other in the face or anything, but I'll, ju I'll just teach you how to feint, how to, how to jab, how to block. And uh, Max Baer Jr. said, fine. But as this was going on, Max Baer Jr. got a little carried away and threw a punch at his father right in the face and as hard as he could. The next thing Max Baer Jr. knew, he's lying on the ground looking up at the sky. His father had knocked him unconscious um, and, and it was just an automatic reaction. Max Baer Jr.'s mother was hanging out of a second-story bedroom window, and she said, what have you done? What have you done? You've killed my son. But uh, Max Baer Jr. said that ended his boxing career. His father just did not want him to become a boxer. I think it would be very good if there were more Jewish boxers today. I did a, a, a talk at a, a place called the Holocaust Memorial Intolerance Center in Glen Cove on Long Island, and one of the, and a boxer, a Jewish boxer, showed up in support of me, a, a guy named Cletus Selden, who is a lightweight, and he's a terrific boxer. I mean, he, he's young in his career. He's only had uh, 17 fights, but he's had 17 wins, 16 by knockouts. And he was a big hit with, with, with the audience. They absolutely loved him. But on the other hand, there, uh, I was invited to give a talk at another Jewish organization 
and they decided not to have me because the women in the organization said, well, there's no such thing as a Jewish boxer. Why should we have them talk about Jewish boxing? So it's a shame in many ways that uh, Jewish boxing has kind of faded uh, away. Though the, um, I, I, I get a lot of uh, messages <clears throat> from the children and grandchildren of uh, Jewish boxers who say how much they enjoyed reading my book and it brings back memories and, and stories that they, they heard from their parents and grandparents. And they, too, are uh, upset that there aren't any more Jewish boxers around. Yeah, I, I just never could understand what why they stopped. I mean, even going back to the bare-knuckle times, uh, we, we got a, a live chat room right now, one of the guys that's uh, in there uh, a lot from uh, Strictly Business Boxing. Uh, and my man, Coach, he, he reminded me, Daniel Mendoza, which was a sure. uh, uh, a famous bare knuckle, was, uh, I, I think he's the first Jewish world champion, you know? So uh, there was so right. many, so many, and, and all of a sudden it stopped. Yeah, um, Selden, uh, the, he's the Hebrew hammer, right? Uh, and exactly. uh, Yeah, so, I, but there's so, there's so few of them today. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's a shame, and it's... It's the same, really. Uh, you know, I'm of Italian uh, descent, and uh, there were so many Italian fighters. They used to be, and, and I think that some of it um, today is because we've become so politically correct. Uh, back in the day, in the 40s and the 50s, even, well, actually before that, right, between the 30s and the 50s, they used to have these um, rivalries, and, and you would have uh, uh, Italians against the Jewish night, or, or you know, right. uh, uh, Irish against the Italians, and, and, you know, promoters would be able to sell, and you'd, you'd bring people in, and you'd have the uh, Italian fighters fighting the Jewish fighters, and so on and so forth, and it would be a success. Today, they're so, they, could you imagine, Jeff, if a promoter tried to do that today, they would be criticized, and, and it, it's a shame, because I think the sport is hurting from it. What do you think? I, I agree. It, it's become so politically correct that you can't uh, promote an ethnic rivalry. Uh, you, you know, if, if you did have a Jewish fighter against an Italian fighter or an Irish fighter or a Hispanic fighter, uh, you'd have to uh, play up the ethnic rivalry in such a subtle way that people wouldn't even notice it. Because if you did it directly, uh, the media would come down on you as being racist and, 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 and other things. So, so that's kind of unfortunate. But certainly... You know, the great ethnic rivalries of the 1930s or drew an enormous number of people uh, to, to boxing. When uh, Barney Ross fought uh, uh, Jimmy McLarnon, it was a Jew against an Irishman, and they brought out their uh, prospective or respective audiences. Yeah, it had a tremendous number of Irish uh, American fans and a, a tremendous number of Jewish American fans who would attend those bouts, and they loved it. Yeah, well, you know what? Uh, a lot of the fans are missing that today because everybody's so afraid to basically, I mean, and, and just by saying, you know, it's the Jews against the Italians isn't knocking anybody. I mean, you know, but we're so afraid today. But let's talk a little about Barney Ross. Um, only yeah. I, I focus on him because, like I, I said to you uh, in our correspondence plus uh, earlier, he's one of my favorite fighters. And not only did I think he was a, a great fighter in the ring, uh, but he overcame so many odds, and, and they eventually, a lot of people know him as a wartime hero. Tell us a little about Barney. Well, uh, Barney was a very interesting guy. He, he, uh, he came from an Orthodox Jewish family, and his father actually at one point wanted him to become a rabbi. And uh, Barney wasn't particularly interested, and his family was very poor. His father uh, operated a little tiny grocery store in uh an area of Chicago called the Maxwell Street Ghetto, which was a Jewish ghetto in Chicago. 
And one day, two holdup men came in and, and uh, shot and killed his father. And that was the end of Barney's interest in anything having to do with religion. And he began running with a local gang in Chicago. And his close friend in that gang was a kid named Jacob Rubenstein, who uh, eventually took on the name Jack Ruby. And we know him today as the man who uh, shot President Kennedy's assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald. And both of them worked for Al Capone. They were runners for Al Capone's bookie joints. And Al took an interest in them. And he said to uh, Jacob Rubenstein, you have the makings of a gangster. But he said to Barney, you don't. He said, but I've, I've seen you in a lot of your street fights, and I think that you could become a good boxer. And after uh, Barney's uh, father was shot, his mother had a nervous breakdown, and his three siblings were all put in different uh, foster care homes. And it was uh, Barney's ambition to reunite his family, to be able to buy a home and bring his mother out of a mental institution and to reunite his siblings all in one house. And Al Capone was sympathetic to that. He said, well, I'll get you a trainer and you'll begin to have fights. And when you start fighting, I'll make sure that every ticket to every fight you have is sold because Barney would get a portion of the proceeds from those uh, ticket sales. And, and that happened eventually. And he was able to buy a house and, and to re uh, reunite his family. And he uh, w was what they called him, uh, some people called in those days a scientific fighter, in, in that he was very smart. He would understand what the strategy was of his opponents, and he would develop his own strategy for overcoming that. And he was just a, a, a fierce uh, and very clever uh, boxing opponent. And his. Uh, his three matches with uh, uh, Jimmy McLarnon were, were absolutely his, historic. Um, uh, Barney won the first one. He, uh, he lost the second one, and he won the third one. But uh, Jimmy McLarnon's manager uh, didn't believe that uh, Barney should have been awarded the, uh, the decision in the third one. And he went to court to have it overturned. And his reason for it is he said that one of the judges was Jewish, and that Jack Dempsey, who was the referee, had a Jewish grandmother, and therefore he couldn't be trusted. And the judge threw the case out of court, and 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 Barney uh, retained uh, the win. Uh, eventually, he he lost his title to uh, a fabulous uh, welterweight named uh, Henry Armstrong, who was probably the inspiration for Sugar Ray Robinson. And and after that fight, uh, Barney uh, retired, and he opened a. Uh, what we call today a sports bar in, 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 in Chicago. That became a hangout for uh, uh, athletes and politicians and some mob guys. And when uh, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor in 1941, Barney wanted to enlist in the Marines. And I think he was about 32 years old at the time, and they told him he was too old to join the Marines. But through his various uh, connections in Chicago, he was able to get that overturned. And they finally accepted him into the Marines. And during uh, basic training, they, they would refer to him as Grandpa. And, and at one point, he had a, uh, an officer who uh, was, said something anti-Semitic to him. And, and Barney flattened the guy. And after that, he had a choice of, of either staying stateside or being sent overseas. And he demanded to be sent overseas. He wanted to fight the Japanese. He felt that America had been very good to him, and it helped him and his family, ultimately. And he wanted to fight the enemy that he thought was trying to destroy America. And so he went to Guadalcanal, and one night 
he was out on a patrol with three other Marines, and they were ambushed by a, a Japanese platoon. Two of the Marines were immediately killed, and the third one was wounded, and Barney threw him into a ditch and jumped in on top of him. All through the night, the Japanese were firing on them, and Barney uh, uh, took the, uh, his rifle and the three rifles of his fallen uh, comrades and fired back at the Japanese all through the night. When he ran out of ammunition, he started throwing hand grenades. And there were 24 hand grenades between the three soldiers, and Barney threw all of them. It turned out in the morning that he had completely wiped out this uh, Japanese uh, platoon. But he was also badly wounded, and he didn't initially know that because he was so involved in, in the fighting that was going on. But when he was taken back to base, they discovered that he had a bad wound in his thigh and a bad wound in his foot. And he was sent to a hospital where he had several surgeries. But to deal with the pain of those surgeries, they gave him a, quite a bit of morphine. And as a result of that, uh, he became a morphine addict. And um, th th that didn't uh, stop him from getting the Silver Star, which was awarded to him in the Rose Garden of the White House by President Roosevelt. Uh, eventually, due to his drug addiction, Barney hit bottom. And uh, he couldn't uh, deal with it anymore. And he put himself into a federal drug rehabilitation center in Lexington, Kentucky. And they told him it would take a year for him to become completely clean. But he was so determined, he did it in six months. And he spent the rest of his life uh, lecturing to high school and college students about the dangers of drugs. Now, the actor uh, John Garfield had uh, contracted with uh, uh, Barney to make a movie about his life. But when he discovered that Barney was a, or had been a drug addict, he decided that he would fictionalize the story. And uh, so he made a great boxing movie, uh, which is based on uh, the life of uh, Barney Ross. It's called Body and Soul. And because they didn't give Barney the credit that he was supposed to get and, and didn't give him any of the financial uh, benefits that he should have received, he wound up suing the production company. And they settled out of court for something like $65,000, which was a lot of money in 1947. And then in 1951, another movie was made about him, but that, that dealt honestly with his drug addiction. It was called uh, Monkey on My Back, and it starred an actor named uh, uh, Cameron Mitchell. That movie isn't as well known, however, as uh, Body and Soul, which I just saw recently, and I think it's a great movie. You know, the, the, the story, the uh, World War II story with Barney Ross always reminded me, his actions reminded me of uh, Audie Murphy and uh, some of the things that he did. Right. And, and, and another thing that I, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong uh, thinking this, but I, I remember uh, uh, learning about Barney Ross. And at the time, you know, a lot of these uh, uh, war guys uh, that were uh, given morphine to deal with the pain, when they came back to the States to get them unhooked on morphine, they were giving them heroin. They, they didn't know what the perils were heroin. Were. And, and wasn't that what Barney Ross eventually was addicted to? Or was he always addicted to, to morphine? It was heroin. He became a heroin addict. Right. And, and, and he went through all of his money. It was, it was just what happened to him after the war it was just a terrible tragedy. Yeah. But it, he came back from it, which was amazing because it showed his inner strength, the same kind of inner strength that made him such a formidable boxing opponent. Yeah, well, you know what? It's, one, he's one, it's why he's one of my favorites. Um, I, we're running out of time, uh, Jeff. I, I just wanted to ask you one more time about um, today's fighters. I mean, obviously, we can't compare them uh, to the eras of, of Max Baer and, of, and, of course, Barney Ross, but 
Um, You know, do you think that there's anything based on the way society has changed that has derailed the interest in, um, you know, Jewish uh, fighters to to turn pro or even get into the ring? I mean, um, do do you think it has anything to do with that? Or, I mean... You know, every other um, every other group seems to have stayed with it to a degree, except for the Jewish community. I I just can't put my finger on it. I, do you have any thoughts on that? I, I just think that they found uh, you know better ways of of, of making a good living, um, and uh, not that I'm one of them, but certainly a lot of uh, the Jewish children of boxers were encouraged to become doctors and lawyers and dentists and accountants and film producers or whatever. It was, it was just an easier thing to do. Um, but, but it was amazing to me, um, the enthusiasm that, that existed for, for uh, a Jewish boxers during the heyday of, of Jewish boxing. And when I think of you know, my own boyhood and the stories that my father told me, about a Jewish boxers and, 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 and the Jewish boxers that I met who were training at, 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 at Stillman's gym. It's a, it, it, it's, it's a world that's long gone, and, and, I, and I'm sorry that it is gone, and I wish it would come back. You know, I think you put it in uh, great perspective when you said that uh, a lot of women said there's no such thing uh, in the group that you were speaking uh, or were going to speak in front of said, oh, there's no such thing as Jewish uh, boxers. And that's so that's such a comical statement for me because there were so many of them you know uh during this era and it's a shame uh but i i certainly can see why i mean it's it's the same evolution of of sorts with uh with with every uh group that uh you know comes and and chooses to to try and find the, a better way out you know i know what italians did it germans did it irish did it you know it's just uh it's a shame that we don't have it today I guess it's a bittersweet because on the good on the good side, you know, uh, there's better opportunities for everyone uh, today than there was yesteryear. But the bad side is we've lost that rivalry, and I think that the rivalries is what made boxing so great during these eras. And it's something that the young fans of today just don't understand. They they don't see it, and your, uh, promoters are afraid to say it, so it, it could never return, right? I agree with you. And, and, and there's also a thing with the media. I mean, the media doesn't, the, the sports people uh, on television, uh, uh, sports reporters, and, and big newspapers like the New York Times don't even cover boxing uh, a- anymore. You know, you, I, when I was researching my book, I went back and I looked at old uh, copies of the New York Times, and there would be front page banner headlines about, you know, the new heavyweight boxing champion. The only stories that the Times does about boxing is if it's a big money fight. You know, like the, the Mayweather fight, they covered that only from the point of view of a business story, but not from a sports story. They won't even touch it as a sports story. No, they used to have every newspaper in the country used to have a boxing uh, reporter, a guy that right. just was just focused on boxing. The last one that was uh, the last full time boxing reporter, which he's not even. Uh, uh, doing it full time anymore for for the uh, Daily News, I, I believe was Tim Smith. I think he was the right. last the last one. So it just goes to show you how uh, how quickly uh, that's changed. Uh, where can everyone get a copy of your book, Jeff? Uh, they can get a copy of Max Bear and Barney Ross, Jewish Heroes of Boxing, at Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Well, it's a great read, and uh, Jeff, I appreciate you uh, taking the time and. Uh, 
uh, stopping by with us today, and I hope that uh, uh, we can get you uh, back on in the future to talk uh, some historical aspects of uh, the, you know, the Jewish uh, fighters of yesteryear. I, I think uh, our viewers and listeners should uh, should learn about that. Well, well uh, my next book, which I've just uh, about finished writing, is a biography of Rocky Graziano. So, uh, there you go. Hey, I'll bring, we'll, we'll bring a paisan on for you, you know? <laughs> yeah, we can get into Italian boxing. <laughs> hey, that's right up my alley, my man. So uh, I'm sure. that'll, that'll be good. But listen, I appreciate the time, and we'll look forward to you uh, next time, all right? Thank you very much, Bill. All right, take care. Um, get a copy of uh, Max Baer and Barney Ross, Jewish Heroes of Boxing. Uh, you heard uh, right uh, from the author uh, Jeffrey Sussman said you can get a copy of uh, Barnes & Noble uh, or Amazon. Uh, pick it up. It's uh, a great uh, read. If you uh, haven't uh, heard of Barney Ross or Max Bear, you're missing out. And uh, I, I know I didn't give Max Bear enough uh, uh, coverage here uh, during the interview, but uh, uh, that's because I love Barney Ross. I, I can't, uh, I can't deny that. I mean, he was one of my favorite fights. I mean, uh, every every time uh, uh, you know people start talking to me, and and I, I always say that I thought that Barney Ross. Uh, was one of the greatest lightweights of uh, all time, and you guys, when we at the end of the year, when uh, uh, when we talk about uh, all time greats, and you know some fighters uh, go up or down on our lists, Barney Ross is always there for me, you know. So uh, and the story, you know, I was just uh, when Jeffrey was telling us the story about what got Barney Ross into boxing, I was just recently talking to someone, and they didn't know about him seeing his father uh, take the bullets in his chest in the. Uh, uh, in the grocery store, in their family-owned uh, grocery store, which was a big impact on a young uh, Barney Ross. And uh, I, it was an impact on me. It was uh, uh, one of the first uh, uh, books that I read, uh, 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 not this book because it just came out, but uh, another one on Barney Ross. And it really got me into um, that era. And it just it opened up the floodgates. And uh, I think it would do the same for you. So get a copy of uh, uh, Jeffrey Sussman's book, uh, as soon as uh, you can. Uh, listen, we're going to be uh, talking about uh, some other news that's uh, in the sport right now. Uh, and specifically, you know how we've been talking about uh, good fights, uh, you know, and it doesn't necessarily mean uh, a, a f- uh, fight against a champion or, or uh, you know, along those lines. Well, there is uh, some fights that are uh, uh, coming up uh, that I really want to talk about, but we're going to uh, take a short little break here. And uh, when I get back, uh, I'll have Sal with me, and uh, we will talk uh, about uh, a couple of fights that I-, I want you guys to know that I think is a good fight. It's not a glamour fight. It's not going to be a, a fight against two guys with undefeated records, but it's going to be a very competitive fight. And I also want to talk about uh, some of the other things that we were talking about yesterday uh, uh, with Star Boxing and their blueprint. And, uh, well, they're at it again, uh, basically. So uh, uh, bear with me. I will take a short break. And when I come back, I'll have Sal Rocky Senecola. And uh, we'll have a discussion about uh, some news. So uh, don't go nowhere. So we'll be back in two. Billy C. will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. 
interact with the show at billycboxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, speaking of being with us, Sal's back. He is. He is? What are you starting to talk to you talk about yourself? Who are you? Roy Jones Jr.? <laughs> You're talking to yourself in the third person? Come on, man. Come on. There's only one person here. <laughs> hey, listen, I, you know, yesterday we were talking about uh, and I was being critical of uh Star Boxing and my man Joe DeGuardia and uh how they um uh kind of uh coddle their fighters and, and then they toss them into a big fight and you know, everybody's like, Oh, they were exposed. Well, he, here's a great example. And um, the main event actually is uh, going to feature a, a fighter that uh, our last guest, uh, Jeffrey Sussman, just mentioned uh, in uh, uh, Cl- Cletus Selden. He's an undefeated uh, uh, fighter uh, at 19-0 and 0 with 16 knockouts. And, you know, he's yet to be tested, all right? And we know, Sal, that he's going to be, you know, being positioned for a, a, a title shot or one, uh, what have you. And who does uh, Star put him in against? Mike Aranudis, mighty Mike Aranudis, who was a, a pretty decent club fighter at one point. He he, he was in a great fight with uh, De, um, Devin uh, Rodriguez, Delvin Rodriguez. I'm sorry, and uh, but but you know he he since has been out for a while, and uh, uh, basically he, his la- he he didn't have a lot of skills to begin with, but they've eroded. And he's in here for a payday. And, you know, Selden is not getting the opportunity to really, um, you know, get better. What's your thoughts on, you know, constantly coddling a fighter? I mean, he's six, he's 19-0 and 0 now. Shouldn't he be stepping it up, Sal? You know what? Absolutely. I mean, this is the time. This is the make or break. You got to deliver and you got to... Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, exactly what you just said. You have to do this and you have to... You know, this is what you're being brought along for. And you have to leverage yourself in a very challenging fight. And you have to get in a ring with a top contender that, uh, that can mirror your record and, and uh, you know, may the best man win. And if you have to go through a, a period and you lose and you have to learn and come back, well, guess what? You only have your first defeat. Now can learn and what happened and come back. But if you, you uh, continue to do a downward trend, then, you know, guess what? You were meant to fight right now, and uh, it's time to hang him up. He's a, no, I, you you got to you got to step up. You got to step up to the plate. No, listen. Uh, there's no uh, no doubt about that. I mean, no doubt about that. I mean, well, you get the point. You get the point. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, here's a good fight. Here's a good fight. Uh, it's scheduled for uh, uh, June seventeenth. Yeah, and. Um, it's it's not a glamour fight. So th- this is the fight that I, I, I'm I'm a scared that the young fan of today, Sal, won't be interested in in a fight like what I'm going to say. And the reason they won't be interested is because it's not a glamour looking fight on paper. But let me tell you something. This is going to be a great fight. The fight is uh, a junior welterweight, uh, Pablo Cesar Cano, who's got a a, in my opinion, a, a great record, but uh, because he's got five losses, it doesn't look so glamorous. He's got 30 wins, five losses, and a draw, 21 coming by knockout. And he's going to be taking on uh, Fidel Maldonado Jr., 
who's got a record of 23 wins, three losses, and a draw with 19 knockouts. Um, they are going to be fighting in the junior welterweight division and in Texas on June 17th, and it will be uh, on the, the Golden Boys uh, version of uh, their ESPN fights. So we'll get to see it. But let me tell you something, Sal. This is the kind of fights that used to make this sport so interesting because you have guys that have a couple of losses on their record, right. and you've got to assume that they've learned from these losses. And uh, Cesar Cano, uh, um, uh, Pablo Cesar Cano has fought some tough, tough guys, and, and, and you could argue that he was robbed in a couple of those fights. So I, I love this fight, and I hope uh, the viewers and listeners uh, – uh, enjoy it. And the best part is it's going to be on ESPN. What do you think, Sal? I think it's great. I mean, come on, bring it on. That, that's fantastic. And like I said, just because a fighter no longer has an O or a zero in his record, man, I'll tell you, some of these fighters can evolve. They're great because they learn from any mistakes or any loss. They, that's what you call experience. And there is no substitute. So I think it's great. Yeah, well, uh, you know, Dax just straightened me out here. You know, oh, that, I appreciate these guys uh, because my mind is starting to go. You know, here I am giving uh, all the credit uh, for uh, uh, Mike, Mighty Mike Arenudis uh, fighting Delvin Rodriguez, and Dax is in the chat room basically telling me, hey, Billy C., you're an idiot. That wasn't uh, Mighty Mike Arenudis. Uh, that uh, was... Uh, um, uh, that was uh, not Delvin Rodriguez. That was uh, Wolock, and uh, he's right. <laughs> I, I totally forgot that was that was Wolock that that fought that. I, and uh, you know, Mike, mighty Mike Arenudis, well, he was an exciting fighter too, but he wasn't the guy that had those two great fights with uh, uh, Delvin Rodriguez. So uh, yeah, I uh, um, I appreciate uh, uh, Dax straightening me out even though now Dax is fired and we're never going to see him again. But, uh, uh, you know, but uh, here's uh, here's another uh, uh, fight that's going to be really good. Uh, and uh, it's a triple header that was announced yesterday um, on HBO in July. And um, here, here's, here it's going to be. It's going to open up. And, and speaking of Dax, Dax uh, let this cat out of the bag uh, a couple of days ago. So uh, it's old sure. news for my man. But Joe Smith Jr., the guy who upset um, Andres von Farah, uh, he will be taking on uh, Sullivan Barrera. Now, both of these guys are only once beaten. Joe Smith Jr., 23-1 and one with 19 knockouts, and Sullivan Barrera, 19-1 and one with 14 knockouts. Uh, both of these guys will be fighting with the winner. Uh, I believe uh, uh, will be facing Sergey Kovalev, regardless of the outcome uh, against uh, Andre Ward. Now, this co-main event, is uh, Jezreel Corrales, who's undefeated. And he's kind of busted onto the scene. He was a, a big-time underdog when he won his title, and he uh, subsequently has uh, defended it uh, at least once, uh, um, um, maybe even twice. And he's taken on uh, uh, Robinson Castellanos. It was uh, a fight that uh, we actually commented on earlier, Sal, uh, via an email. Uh, and as you recall, uh, Castellanos uh, just recently beat uh, one of my favorite fighters, who I hope hangs him up, Yoriarcus Gamboa. And the main event uh, will be uh, uh, Miguel Burchell uh, taking on uh, Takayashi Miura uh, for, uh, uh, for uh, Burchell's uh, uh, junior uh, lightweight uh, title. So uh, three nice ones coming uh, at us uh, 
from the uh, fabulous forum in Los Angeles, California on HBO. Uh, wow. I like this triple header. What do you think? I love it. I love it. Bring it on HBO. I think that's great. That is great. Well, I'm still- telling you, Bill, this is, the, this is the year. Boxing is resetting a pace and uh, – I think uh, I think we're 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 being treated to some good fights and good things to look forward to, man. Well, I tell you what, HBO better uh, step it up a notch because uh, uh, they uh, are definitely falling behind Showtime, and it pains me to say it because um, I would much rather deal with uh, you know uh, Roy Jones talking about himself in the third person all night long. Uh, you know, I know uh, Jim Lampley. Uh, just saying the same thing over and over and, uh, uh, you know, whoever else they got on there, you know, if Max is, uh, you know, his wings are still clipped. I would much rather listen to those three guys uh, than uh, Mario Ronaldo ruining uh, two good, uh, uh, you know, ruining the, the, the commentating from two uh, good, actually one good and one great uh, commentator, one great commentator, of course, in Al Bernstein and one good commentator in Paulie Malinaji. Uh, so anytime I'm forced to watch Showtime when Ronaldo was on, I, I never listen. I can't listen to that. That that he, he's awful, Sal. I, it, it he's worse than me. Okay, I mean, uh, you know, if you don't like listening to me, imagine what it is like listening to him, right? I mean, uh, give me a break. You know, he's terrible, <laughs> terrible. I don't know, Sal. So, hey, what you think of the book re- in, uh, review? Uh, you, you're going to get a copy of what? Barney, uh, Max sure Bear and Barney I, Ross? Know, let me tell you something. I loved it with Jeffrey Sussman. I think uh, it sounds like a great book. And uh, I followed the whole uh, interview, and I think it's so true. You know, uh, he hit it head on. I mean, you know, when you look at the old immigrants that came over here, the Jewish uh, from from Israel or Europe and uh uh, you had the Italians, you had the Germans, you had the Poles, you had uh, Polish people, you had, uh, you know, you had you had so many people, French, this, that, and everything else. They came over and they tried to fight because that was what they saw available to them as a living, as a craft, as a way to support their families. And some of these guys rose to the occasion and became champions and became the world beaters and legends that we talk about today. But they wanted better for their children. And so that's why the generations of those immigrants maybe have dissipated as far as their ethnicity still being involved in boxing today to a degree in contrast to what they were in volumes uh, in the earlier decades when the immigrants were coming over. So that that was a great uh, depiction and reasoning behind it. And as far as Barney Ross, let me tell you, I remember hearing stories of my family talking about him, and I loved he mentioned, I love that movie. It's one of my favorite movies as a kid, one of my favorite movies as an adult. The uh, movie with John Garfield, Body and Soul. Old black and white boxing movie. You've never seen it. You've got to go see that movie. And now, knowing that it was a, a depiction of loosely based on Barney Ross, is even much more uh, reasoned uh, for me. I'm going to watch it again because it does show a scene in there where. Uh, the fighter, uh, his father has a store, and uh, I guess there's an explosion, and he dies. Someone kills him, and the whole thing. But I love the last line of the movie. Uh, if I could share it, have you seen that movie, Bill? No, it's one. It's I love the old boxing Bill, movies, and I you and, gotta see this I know, movie. I know. I mean, and now that I know it was based on Barney Ross, but also glamorized by Hollywood and some fiction, it makes all that sense because it also delves into the. The uh, the realities of 
you know, maybe uh, uh, some influence from uh, some early mobsters and, and pain to take a dive and all this stuff. Then and that's that's I don't want to tell you the ending, but I love the <laughs> I love the last uh, the last uh, scene when uh, the fighter who's portrayed by John Garfield comes out of the dressing room and he's got some guys in black suits waiting for him saying, "All right, you you did that, you did the you, you know you did wrong," and 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 he goes, "So what are you gonna do? Kill me? Everybody dies." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, I, it's it's true what what uh, you said, and of course what uh, uh, Mr. Sussman said earlier. You know, it's not just the Jewish fighters. I, I, we were talking about the Jewish fighters because the the yeah. background of the book was was based on that. But every single group that tried to use boxing as a way to get out, whether it be the Italians, the Jews, the Irish, whatever, has seemed to, you know, evolve into taking a different route to better themselves and you know when the immigrants came over they all started at the bottom we don't have that today because when people come over uh it's not it, you're not starting at the bottom in some cases you know you, you it's you're not allowed to you know and i think that maybe that explains why boxing is the way it is today sal boxing today you know what makes a young man or woman decide that they want to get into boxing maybe the passion of the sport is in them more than it was yesteryear but the uh you know the desperation of the using the sport as a as a tool or a vehicle to get out of a situation i think well at least it it, it seemed to prove it to me was stronger of a of a driving force than the passion you know i, I don't know what do you think I think you're right on. You're hitting on something because the demographics were different back then. And as you said, these were guys that literally came over the boat, including my family. And, and uh, you know, they, they couldn't get jobs, but they wanted to support their families. And if, if, if they couldn't get work, they'd see a sign that said, uh, earn $5 or $50, uh, fight tonight or fight next week or whatever. Come by and, you know, and that's what they would start to do. Yep. And literally they said, hey, let's let's try this. And they won. And they said, oh, I'll do it next time. And it went again. Then they got spotted by a manager and said, hey, we can leverage you. We can move you. That's how it evolved. That was the old thing. But this was a honed-in craft that guys looked forward to to do. They had to do because they supported their families with this. Hey, they and, figured, hey, Sal, they figured, yeah. hey, we can make five bucks just for fighting. Jeez, I got to fight my brother just to get a piece of steak off the table, you know, and I don't get paid for that. Hey, I might as well fight, get five bucks and have my own steak, right? Absolutely. I mean, and that was my father telling me stories when he has to, when he used to have to fight kids on the street corners of Hackett's to shine shoes, which was the most popular corner. Hey, it's my day. Get out of here, kid. Hey, let me oh. tell you that. Let me tell you something. The one thing uh, Alex and and I have learned over the years by doing the blast from the past. You didn't want to mess with shoe shiners or newspaper kids because most of them all started, most of the greatest boxers in history all were shoe shine boys or newspaper guys, and they fought for their corners, man. Hey, they see a kid move in to try and sell a nickel newspaper, man. You were in some trouble, you know? But uh, uh, anyway, hey, I got today's trivia question, all right? Okay. 
All right, so uh, here you well, go. It's answer. a new one. I'm not giving anybody. I'm so sick. You know, I'm not going to mention his name, but his initials are Kevin in the chat room. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say. But you know, he's busting our chops. You know, for for trivia questions, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm there's crickets. I'm getting nothing from him. So uh, so here's another one. Now, if you're the first one to email me the correct answer to Billy at Talking Boxing, T A L K I N B O X I N G dot com. You're going to win uh, a prize. What do we got? Oh, we still got the uh, copy of uh, the Title Bout Championship computer game on the line. It's the same game that Alex uses to do the uh, uh, simulations on our Blast from the Past. So uh, it's a great prize, all right? So here's the question. What, what is the biggest height difference between two men in the same division for a world title fight. Now, this excludes heavyweight. So, any division but heavyweight. What was the biggest height difference between two men in the same division for a world title fight? If you're the first one to answer this correctly by emailing me, Billy at Talkin Boxing, that's T A L K I N B O X I N G dot com, you'll win your very own. Uh, copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game. And I want to thank your friend and mine, Henry Haskup, for uh, coming up with uh, this question uh, to stump our listeners. So if wow. you're the first one to email me, Billy at Talkin Boxing, T A L K I N B O X I N G dot com, uh, the answer to this question, you'll win uh, the copy of Title Bout. The question is what is the biggest height difference between two men in the same division for a world title fight? excluding the heavyweight division. Hey, Sal, you want to take a shot at uh, guessing this one right so we uh, move on to another one or what? I'm not going to answer Jack Dempsey, but the bottom line is, you know, I, I'd have to say, uh, and excluding the heavyweight division, my first thoughts were going to two-ton Tony Galento versus Joe Lewis. Uh, that had to be a big uh, big difference. But uh, That is heavyweight division. That's what I'm saying, excluding. So that's where I was going to go. But I just said it, but I'm not really going there. But I would have to say probably at least a foot, maybe twelve to fourteen. No, I'm looking for the names. I'm looking. I'm not looking for the for the. <laughs> All right, let's take that as a no. Let's take that. Let's take that. Let's take that. I think you need more coffee. I, let, let, we're gonna take. We're gonna take that as a no from Sal that he did not get the answer correctly. I'm not looking for the height. The actual. It's about a foot. Uh, Four? You know, no, 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 no. I, what I'm looking for is the two guys, all right? What the difference is between the two fighters. You know, I'm glad Sal said that. Because you, you know, I think he was just playing with you guys. I Honestly, I think that Sal just wanted to make sure that you guys didn't embarrass yourselves by giving me a number, all right? It's, it's I'm looking for the fighters themselves, okay? So so the, the, the question is, uh, what is the biggest height difference between two men in the same division for a world title fight, excluding heavyweights. If you're the first one to get that answer correct by emailing me, Billy at talking boxing, that's T A L K I N B O X I N G dot com. You'll win the prize. Hey, listen, uh, that concludes our show for today, but, uh, I want you to, uh, make sure, uh, that you tune in tomorrow morning, uh, same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. You want to know something funny? I was telling this to Sal uh, as as we were leaving, as, as we got over. You know, as as Joel said to me a few times, and some people noticed that in my studio here, uh, a lot of times during uh, uh, my show, I have uh, my 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 buddy, my dog, uh, is sleeping in the studio. My stu- 
what we have here is I have a half a studio and the other half is my office. Okay, so what you see is 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 the uh, is the set, right? And the dog is always in here. Now, when I say that, when I say, hey, we're going to leave it, you know, tune in, same bad time, same bad channel tomorrow, I'll leave you with this. The dog gets up. He knows that the show is almost over and it's time for him. It's, it's amazing. And he just did it again. I, I figured I'd share that with you guys. But I'll leave you with this. Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning, same bad time, same bad channel. Until then, ciao, baby. Ha <laughs> ha.